Hey, y'all watch this video. I'm just using it to make a point as an illustration, and maybe you'll remember what happened back in 2012 when you watch this. And now to that call that turned Monday Night Football into Monday Night Mayhem. The Seattle Seahawks defeating the Green Bay Packers on a last-second play that may be one of the biggest referee blunders of all time. It has fans and players screaming for the NFL, including Josh Elliott, to end the referee lockout and send the replacement refs to the sidelines. ABC's John Muller joins us now with more. John, it was the call around the world. Got that right, and it just went and that band started couldn't get any worse after a weekend filled with rage towards these replacement referees. Last night, a call to end the Seahawks Packers game that has fans, players, coaches, commentators, everyone pointing the finger at the NFL and saying enough is enough. There were eight seconds left on the clock, and ESPN commentator John Gruden laid it on the line. A section of the end zone that is winning. Seahawks says the man gives him a chance. Seahawks with the quarterback, Russell Wilson, picks up a hand in there. you're a football fan you probably uh, recall all of that taking place that season if you're not a football fan you're like come on brother Crispin let's get on with it right but anyway it serves I think as a great illustration to us because in most every game there were bad calls made by the referees who lacked sufficient training some of them had trained in lesser leagues smaller leagues some just in college some had never played or never had refed in the NFL at all and they're out there calling a critical, critical game. And all season long, because of the, the lockout and uh, the labor dispute for NFL referees that season. But it resulted in frustration. It resulted in anger among coaches and players and fans all across the nation. Regardless of whether or not you're a, a Packers fan or you're a C, uh, Seattle Seahawks fan, that really doesn't matter. Really, at the end of the day, we all want to know that if we won, we won because it was fair play. We won not on a bad call, but we won because we won fair and square. No one likes a bad judgment call. We like to know that the call that was made was the right call. In James chapter 2, the Christians of the church in Jerusalem, not long after the resurrection of our Lord, they were making a bad judgment call in how they were treating other people in their assembly. And as a result, they were breaking God's law. So today we're going to get a little bit of training from James chapter 2 of what it means to show up and love. We're in this series, Show Up and Love. What does that mean? What's that all about? Because I think sometimes we take it for granted. Oh yeah, we're just to love other people. 
But you know, we say it so much, sometimes we don't do it. And so we're going to get some training this morning in James chapter 2 because if anyone ever hits people hard, if anyone ever just says it like it is, if, if anyone ever just puts feet to what the gospel ought to do and, and brings it down to real life, James does that for us in the Word of God. And so if you've read through the book of James, you know that he just, he just lays it out there and says, this is it. You know, faith without works is dead. You show me faith, I'll show you works. Works ought to accompany faith. I mean, he just says stuff like that, doesn't he? So we're we're talking about show up in love. That's our purpose. Because Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified that night, just a little bit earlier, while they were having dinner, in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He said, By this will all men know that you're my disciples. That you love one another. That's the proof, he says. You know, you, you can say you love each other, or you can say you're a Christ follower. He says, but if you have love for one another, that's part of the proof of being a Christ follower. So James is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. And he is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus at a time when the church was going through a lot of persecution. Christians had been scattered. He mentions that at the very beginning in chapter 1, to those who are scattered or to the dispersed, he says. Christians were dispersed out of Judea, out of Jerusalem. They fled. A lot of them are still right here in Jerusalem, but they're going under some persecution. And it was at a time when the wealthy were oppressing those who were poor, which at that time... Most of those who were following Christ were people who were poor. So some of the wealthy were coming into this church. They were coming into their assembly. And what was happening is the church people were beginning to show favoritism to those who had money and wealth. And so James is addressing this. And he says to us, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to follow along, my brethren. So he's talking to the saved. He's talking to the Christians. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So just think about this for a minute. If you were going to deny the Christian faith, let's just say, I mean, you don't want to do that, right? But let's just say, if you were going to do that, how would you go about doing that? What would that involve? Do you simply renounce your church membership and just leave the church? Do you write an article, put it in the newspaper, 
speaking against the church, denouncing the truths of the gospel. Do you do that? Do you join the local freedom from religion organization for atheists? Do you just do that and say, I'm just going to, I'm joining the atheist movement. I'm doing that and I'm going to hang with those guys. Well, to be honest with you, it's a lot easier than that. All you have to do, according to James, is to deny the Christian faith is just start showing favoritism to some and not others. You don't treat them the same. You exercise bias for or against certain individuals or kinds of people. He said, it's that easy to deny Christ. Just do that. That's all you have to do. So here's what I want you to get. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Everything else comes under this, really. Uh, there'll be other subsequent points, but they all fall under this main point, and this is, that's this right here. To show partiality is a contradiction of the Christian faith. It contradicts Scripture. It goes right against the heart and nature of Christ. So let me give you some supportive things. Four reasons why under point number one. It goes against the nature of God. Right in your margin, Acts chapter 10 verse 34 says, God does not show favoritism. If you like the King James Version, he says, He's no respecter of persons. He looks at people the same. A second reason why we shouldn't show partiality or how it does contradict the faith is it goes against the very nature of the gospel as well. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 and 29. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, he says. And if you're Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, what does that mean? Well, an heir receives the inheritance. What's the inheritance of the Christian? The inheritance of the Christian is all the things, all the spiritual blessings that are in the Lord Jesus Christ and heaven as our eternal home, all of those things. Together, everyone who calls Jesus Lord. And so we know that it goes against the nature of the gospel to consider some differently than others who have named Jesus as Lord. We're one in Christ. God is the ultimate umpire. He's the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate referee in life. And according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says he judges each person's work without being partial. The third reason that it's contradictory to faith in Christ is it's a sin. Look at verse 9. Would you just drop down look at verse 9? It says we become guilty of breaking the law of God. We become transgressors, the Bible says. That's we're lawbreakers. The word used in verse 1 is written in the present tense. He's not saying, hey guys, this is something we need to make sure we do. He's saying, no, you're doing this now. You are treating people with partiality. And he says, stop it. Stop right now is what the word means. Do you think it's human nature to show partiality? I do. It's part of human nature to show favoritism to certain people. It's our worldly nature. It's the part of the flesh. And the Bible says the fleshly part wars against the spirit man. The two are at odds with one another. We receive the spirit of God. He changes our spirit man, but we tend to try to gravitate toward the flesh. The flesh part of us desires 
to be fulfilled. It has its own passions, its own desires, things that we put over and above the Lord Jesus. And we want those things fulfilled. He, he fulfilled. He says, that's a flesh part of us. We're to put to death the flesh. And let me tell you, that has to happen every day. The ability to do it, we've already received. Whether or not we do it is yet to be seen on a daily basis. We have to make that decision. Is what I mean by that. We have to decide each and every day when our feet hit the mat, today I'm living for Christ, not for self. I want to walk in the Spirit, not in the things of the flesh. So the flesh is working against the Spirit and it's human nature to show partiality, I believe. Pastor was in his office studying when the church secretary answered the church phone. A man on the other end said, Let me speak with a head hog at the trough. She said, Excuse me? You know, the head honcho, the top chief, the big dog, the head hog at the trough. Let me talk to him. She said, Well, excuse me, sir. I mean, if you're talking about our pastor, I think he'd prefer to be addressed as pastor brother, reverend, something a a lot more reverend than what you're saying. He said, I'm sorry. He said, y'all don't know me. He said, but he said, what it is, I heard you're in a building program and and you're taking, receiving funds for your new building. He said, I've got $50,000. I was wanting to donate and I thought he'd be excited about that. So I'm just pretty excited about that. I didn't mean to be rude or sound rude, but if I could talk to him, that'd be good. And uh, she said, hold on that. That big fat hog just walked in the door. Sure, we show partiality sometimes. It's part of our human nature to be selfish and to be greedy and to be partial in our dealings with one another. But it's fleshly and it's antithetical and contradictory and incompatible to the ways of the Holy Spirit. Because it misrepresents the love that God has for all. See, He loves all. A fourth thing, we're still in point one. A fourth thing about how this is a contradiction of the faith is just that it's evil. Look at verse four. He says, we become judges with evil thoughts. I don't know I've said it before, but it really does make some sense. If you take the word live... L-I-V-E, and you get it backwards, what does it spell? Evil. When you try to live backwards, you try to live in opposition to what the Lord teaches through His Word, it is evil. You say, well, not everything's evil. I mean, that's kind of harsh, isn't it, Brother Christman, just to say it's evil? I mean, we know we're wrong sometimes, but it doesn't make it evil. You know what God calls sin? Evil. He says sin... And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I mean, when we sin and know that we're sinning and keep on sinning, that's rebellion against God. And he says, that's just like being involved in witchcraft, idol worship. So he says it's evil. It's evil to live in contradiction to what God requires for us. Therefore, number two... Here's what we have to do. We don't want to be incompatible with the Christian faith. We want to align our lives with God's Word. Therefore, we must recognize our own contradictions. We must recognize where we are walking in opposition to what God wants. 
James wants them to see that what they're doing is being partial to certain people. So look in verse 5 through 7. He asks them three questions right here. Three quick questions. First of all, he says, Has God not chosen the poor people in this world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? And of course the answer is, yes, God has chosen the poor as well. They're to be heirs of everything as well if they'll just love Him. But he goes on, he says, But you have dishonored the poor person. You're showing them dishonor by showing favoritism to the wealthy person. Verse 6, Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? And their answer would be, yes. The rich were oppressing the poor in Jerusalem. I mean, they were hanging them out to dry. You owe them a little money, you're going to jail. I mean, they were just... Why would you show extra favor to someone who is wealthy when you know the wealthy in our community, he said, they're, they're dragging you into court. They're not showing you mercy. Verse 7, he asks a third question. Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Are they not speaking against Christ? Are they not speaking against the very things of God? And of course the answer is yes. They were. That's why there was persecution throughout the region. People were against Jesus Christ. They were anti-Christ. They were blasphemers. They were speaking against the things that the Holy Spirit had done through the apostles and the early church, through the miracles. They were speaking against the very miracles. They see it happen and they speak against it and refuse to believe. He says, do they not blaspheme that noble name? What did they tell the early church, the apostles? Do not preach and speak in this name anymore. If you do, we're throwing you in jail. And they said, well, we're going to obey God and not man. And they went to jail for it. Do they not blaspheme, he said, that noble name? Yes, they're blaspheming that noble name. And I want to tell you, I can't can't even think of the number of times of my 17 years in ministry that people have come up with an idea from time to time. It's just a little bitty word here or there, not anything in a big meeting, but somebody will come up and say, Hey, uh, Brother Christman, you know, we had a guy visit last week named Mr. Cash. No, Mr. Cash has got a lot of cash. And uh, did you meet him? No. Well, he, he does. He's wealthy, and he used to be a member of our church a time ago. Quite a, It's been a few years, and he left. And uh, boy, I tell you what, sure be good to have him back with us again. I mean, he helped a lot. Well, why did he leave? Well, he didn't agree with how the church was spending some of their money. Oh. Okay. Well, what do you do about that? You don't show favoritism to the wealthy. You treat them just like you treat anyone else. That's what you do. And I'm going to tell you, church, if a poor person walks through the doors of your church, they deserve the same attention the same care, the same loving welcome as anyone else who's here, as anyone else who's walking through the door who may be wealthy, who may be educated, well-educated. The uneducated person deserves Jesus just like the older person does, the younger person does, the wealthy does, the educated person, the one who's well-to-do. We all deserve Jesus, and we all deserve His love. And Jesus had a heart for poor people. Did you read through the Gospels? He has a heart for poor people. 
That should tell us something. He had a heart for children. That should tell us something. He had a heart for the down and out. That should tell us something. He had a heart for the sinner, even the blatant sinner. That should tell us something. That those people are actually worthy of our approach. They are worthy of a kind word. They are worthy of bringing in and worthy of sharing the gospel with and loving as if they'd been a Christian all along. How else will we reach them with the love of Jesus? We're all heirs of the promise, those who receive Christ. We are equal in God's eyes, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. It should be more than a song. Can somebody say amen in the house today? It's more than a song. It's a life to live. Everyone should be warmly greeted. Everyone should be welcomed in this church community unless they're causing division. The Bible says about the divisive person, warn them once. After that, have nothing to do with them. So see, we don't, we don't take this and say, well, everybody just comes no matter what they're doing. Now, the Scripture doesn't even teach that, right? The blatant sinner, they ought to be greeted, they ought to be welcomed, they ought to be told and taught and discipled, and if they choose to continue to walk in blatant sin, Paul says, you send them out of the church. He says, have nothing to do with them. Don't even eat with the man, he says. So, see, we go by all Scripture, we put all Scripture together, and we say, why? What's, what's wrong with that? Well, we know that, that yeast, the leaven, will, will filter through the whole batch. So you, you don't accept blatant sin in a continual way. If someone claims the name of Christ, they'll live and walk, but some people need time. They need to be taught. They need to learn that certain things uh, are degrade the name of Christ. And so you teach them. And you teach them out of love. And if they choose to continue to live in that way, then you don't have anything to do with them. Paul told them about the the man in the church who was guilty of gross sexual sin. He said, look, send him away from you. Give him over to Satan that Satan would destroy him. That's what he said. You say, that's a little harsh. No, look, we need to do it. The church is to be pure. The church is to live holy. If you want the leaven to continue to grow and to fester, you you just ignore certain people who live in blatant sin and come at other people who live in blatant sin. No, we're all. We're all to live for Christ. Everyone's worthy of inclusion. Everyone is worthy of having their needs met. Everyone's worthy of a phone call during the week. If they came and visited our church, and you know who they are, they're worthy of a phone call. I don't know these people. They're worthy of your phone call. They're worthy of your care. They're worthy of your concern. They ought to get a phone call inviting them back to Sunday school or inviting them to come, especially if they would be in your bunch, in your class. If they'd be in your group, look, somebody's supposed to reach out to them. Don't, don't think somebody else in some other group ought to be trying to reach them. If they would be connected to your young adult class, the young adults ought to go after them. If they'd be in a senior adult class, the senior adults go after them. But let me, let me wait before I go too far. It's okay for me to invite somebody to the senior adult class. It's okay for me to invite somebody to somebody else's class. Look, you just, 
You just love people. I mean, that's what you do. You care for their, their best interest at heart, and that is to be a disciple and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you just take that upon yourself and say, it doesn't really matter who they are. I know how to get in touch with them, or I can find out how to get in touch with them. What's a phone call? You know, people are afraid of calling folks today. I've called people after person after person. I don't, I don't know some of them, and I just, here's, here's my phone call, okay? Hey, I don't know you. <laughs> I thought that's funny. I, I'm, you know, the problem thing is trying to sell something. Hi, I'm Crispin. I'm the interim pastor at First Baptist Church Garrison. I don't know you. I might have met you. I'm not sure. I'm, I just don't know everybody. There's so many people. But I know that you, someone told me that you came and you visited First Baptist Church when the Irwins were here last week. And I'm, I just want to welcome you back. I hope that you'll come back again. If you'd like to go to Bible study class, you know, call us up here. Let us point you to a class. Or maybe you have some friends. and Just come on. Come be a part. Look, is that a perfect phone call? Not in my mind. I sound like an idiot. You know, we all think we're an idiot when we call somebody and we don't know them, don't we? You know, we call and we say, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you. I might have met you. I might not have met you. I, I don't really know much about you, but I heard you were here. I'd love for you to come back. Just want to make sure you know you're invited to come back. Who can't do that? We all can do that. Some of you have the ability to meet the needs of others. Or you know who can. You know who can. You see, as a man, I don't go around trying to meet the needs of other ladies in the church. <laughs> but I know some ladies in the church who can. Hey, would you go call sister such and such? Would you go call this girl? Would you go call that lady? Sometimes I take Crystal with me. Hey, let's go. Let's just go visit that person. They need a visit. Let's go. And, and even at the end of a, a hard working day, she'll get in the car and she'll go with me. We can do more than what we do to love other people and to not be partial. Because here's the truth. If we know someone real well and they're in that hospital, we check on them. We go see them. If we don't know them very well, you know what we do? We just think about it. And Jesus didn't say, think about it. He said, do it. We've got to get beyond thinking and get on to action. James says that. He says, look, faith without works, faith without deeds is a dead faith. Put feet to your faith. Do something. Everyone is worthy of our care and concern. You see, having a new pastor at First Baptist Garrison won't fix that if it's an issue. The partiality thing. In the church, in every church, there are pockets, groups of people who connect well together because they're either in the same age group, they're in the same kind of life situation. In other words, they're maybe the empty nesters. Empty nesters got a lot to talk about, right? Uh, they, they get to talk about how they all messed up or they feel how they messed up with their kids, right? Preschoolers, parents of preschoolers get to talk about what's making them pull their hair out. You know, they like to get together. They're, they're, they're in the same life situation. People who are going through grief, they connect well with other people who are going through grief. They got some things to talk about, some emotions to share, and, and, 
and how to, what'd you do, how'd you get through that, and things to pray about. So I'm not, I'm not going to diss that. That's a natural connection we have in the body of Christ, one with another. We all kind of a, uh, get attracted to certain people who are like us. Now here's where I say a new pastor is not going to help this. There are always people who don't feel a connection. The pastor can't get them broken into your group. It's not even his duty. It's not his calling. It's the church's calling. By taking people, red, brown, yellow, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, business type, farm worker, uh, garbage collector, it doesn't matter. You bring them in. You reach out to them. Pastor can't do that. I'm telling you, you want a pastor come to your pulpit, you be doing that, and I'm telling you, you'll have a pick of a million. <laughs> Pastors are looking for places where people are serving and worshiping and showing up and loving one another. Now, by this message, I'm not suggesting that you're not, okay? So don't walk away with that. I think we can all do more, though. We have to recognize our own contradictions. Third, we must develop a compassion for all. We must recognize our own contradictions. We must do as James says and stop and repent. And then we must develop a compassion for all people. Look at verse 8 with me. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law, he says. If you're really loving your neighbor as yourself, you do well. That word means right. You're doing right. If you're loving others as yourself, who's my neighbor? Remember scripture, the guy says, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? It's that person you bumped into at the mall. Or as my kids say, the hall. Macdoch has got a little bitty mall. They call it the hall, not the mall. You bumped into them. That's your neighbor. It's an acquaintance. It's a person across the road. It's a farmer next door. You share a fence, don't you? Yeah, that's your neighbor. It's a person that where you went and paid the bill. You went and paid your traffic fine. The lady behind the glass, and you sent your check under the glass window to pay for your traffic fine. She's your neighbor. Don't get mad at her. She's just taking your money. <laughs> she can give you that ticket. That officer pulled you over. He's your neighbor. Be nice to him. Your cousin's your neighbor. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Do I want to be ridiculed? No, I shouldn't ridicule somebody else. Do I want to be physically hurt? No, I should never physically hurt someone else. Do I want to be mistreated? Do I want to be talked about? Do I want to be misunderstood? No, okay. Let's don't misunderstand people. Let's don't take a text message and read a, a false attitude into it. Let's don't take a Facebook post and get jealous or get upset with somebody or preach at them. And all. Let's don't do all those things. Let's just treat our neighbors with the same love that we want to be treated with. He said you do right when you do that. So as God's church, here's what we, we need to do. We will show up in love by, first of all, receiving people equally. That's the command of the church. The word poor in this passage in the Greek means the shabby person, the shabby dressed individual. It's talking about someone that doesn't dress very well because they don't have the money to dress very well. So he's saying, 
the poor people. We need to receive them. And God doesn't look on man's outward appearance. He looks on the heart. Therefore, we must look on the heart. We've got to receive people equally. The second thing is we'll show up in love by ministering equally to people who have a need. Everyone's worthy to be ministered to in the name of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we'll show up in love by showing equal concern for each person in their salvation and their spiritual growth, their discipleship. We try to draw them in so that we can disciple them so they might grow in the word and in truth and in faith. We just have to do that. That's the calling of the church is to make disciples. Jesus said, if you do these things, you do well, you do right, you make the right call. And did you see that in the video? One says it's a touchdown, the other one says it's an interception, plays over. (laughs) Sometimes in our churches, we're not all making the right call. You remember several months ago, we did a survey. and brought the survey results in, tried to categorize everything the best we could. I got things... uh, uh, listed and what I tried to do is also and I told you when I it was my own personal perception maybe something that wasn't necessarily addressed in the survey but something I had observed by the time that I met with the church on this but you know what it was a very good time people got to share their heart about some of the things that I shared but one of the things that I shared and I'm going to say this out of love okay and I shared it that night but the crowd was not even half this size maybe a fourth this size and I'm going to share this, okay? And it really, it, it is directed to the ladies of the church. And something that I've noticed in this church is men are more likely to go welcome newcomers than women. And I had noticed that. And I had asked questions of visitors. Were you warmly greeted? Oh, yes. I've done this on at least three occasions. Yes, sure were. Then I will ask this question. Who greeted you, men or women? Men. Did any women come welcome you? Shake, their, shake your hand, introduce you, introduce themselves. No, no it was a men. But like eight or nine. Eight or nine. Okay. Now I'm asking this to women, okay? So here's a challenge, ladies. Now, some of you are like, I've got five kids. I'm just trying to get in here in time for church to start. I'm not... I'm trying to keep my head above water. I'm not looking for somebody else in there. I'm, if we can just get them all in the same pew and put a gate on both ends, I'm satisfied. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. So that's why I say, you know, I say this out of love, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But let me tell you something. When a lady walks through that door, what will mean more than anything to them is for another lady to say, Hi, my name is, I'm glad you're here. Hi, my name is such and such. Hey, I'll be sitting over here. Would you come sit with us? Who are you? Where are you from? Or I've met you before, but it's good to see you. Good to see you here. I'm glad you're here. Then you turn around and you call them during the week. Hey, just wanted to say, glad you're here. Hope you'll come back next Sunday. I'll be looking for you. Versus 10 men saying, glad you're here. I mean, and that's okay. We need that too. I'm saying we need both. Am I touching too close to home here? Is that all right to preach that stuff? And that's practical Christianity. So we have to get out of our comfort zones, and we have to do our part, both men and women, 
And we have to say, I'm, I'm going to make myself available. And let me give you an illustration. My first church out of seminary, first full-time church. When we got there to that church, one of the ladies in the church, Miss Pam, man, she was a fireball. She was the one who was ministering to children, contacting visitors in the church, helping with GAs, taking the GAs to camp, going with the youth pastor to youth camp for the girls. And, and I mean, she would serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. She taught kids at Sunday school. I mean, she just was doing everything. Wow, what a worker in the church. We were there a couple of years before I ever heard her testimony. When she and her husband moved to that area, they had four little boys. I think three were in diapers at the same time. Four young little boys. They weren't well-to-do. They weren't well-off. They were struggling paycheck to paycheck. And I don't know, I can't remember if she attended the church first or if this happened without her having attended the church. I can't remember. Pam said, a neighbor that lived close by came and visited me and would call me and would bring stuff and would buy clothes for the kids. I mean, she just went on and on and all this. And she came and she began to disciple me. She led me to the Lord. She began to disciple me. She was an older woman in the church. She mentored me. Those people had moved by the time we moved there, not Pam and her family, but the other. She did all of those things. I was just a poor, struggling mother with four boys, didn't know what to do, just trying to keep my head above the fray. I mean, and, and this lady just came alongside of me, taught me how to live for Jesus. I thought, wow. Because, see, we see one another and we think everything's always been hunky-dory, and it's not always that way. Sometimes people need that. She said, without her in my life, I don't know where I'd be today. And you know what today? In fact, by the time we got there, two of the boys had already graduated from high school. One was a senior. Another one was younger. And all four, of course, are grown, have their own families now. Two of the four boys are ministers. The husband, who was lost back then, in the last few years, gave his life to Christ. He's faithful in the church. And you know what she's still doing? She's still going to GA camp. She's still teaching little kids. She's still calling people on the phone. She's still doing all the things she did before. She had a full-time job. I'm just saying, somebody invested in her life and made a difference for the kingdom in multiple ways. Is it important that we show up in love? It is. Will Christ use it? He will. Will He do something in your life if you'll do it? He will, and He wants to. Let us be the church that shows up and loves.